Welcome to Talk Design Show, where creatives have conversations. I'm Adrian Ramsey, your host, and having lived a life of design myself, I wanted to share with you the creatives that inspire me and in turn may inspire you. Thank you for listening and please enjoy. My guest on Talk Design today is Fern Santini. Now, Fern is an interior designer from Austin, Texas, does beautiful work, amazing work. It's got lots of depth, lots of texture. It takes you on a journey and it's not, it's, it, it's not like single dimensional. You can let yourself into her work and travel in the journey, whether it's for you or whether it's somebody else's place she's done, it will drag you in and you'll go on such an amazing um, experience. So Finn, thank you for coming on the show. I'm so excited about chatting to you. Um, welcome. Thank you. Thanks so much. I um, want to cover a whole bunch of things. Too many, too many for one conversation. Um, <laughs> but we, we, let's see how we go with that. Um, first of all, you're a native Texan. Yeah. And you live in a town that is fast. Um, the native Texans becoming a dying breed with the amount of people that are moving into Austin. Um, tell me about being a native Texan and what that means. Oh gosh. <laughs> um, I like to think that it's, it means you're really friendly. Yeah. <laughs> and you're a southerner. Uh, yeah, you're a Southerner, um, but the good parts of the South, not the bad parts of the South. Um, I think it's, you know, Texas for me was always about, um, that's why I love going out to Marfos, like wide open spaces and and cities. So you get you get some of everything. Um, it, it's such a it's such a cross culture now that um, I think it's you can do a little bit of everything in the same and never leave the state. Yeah. Um, some of the politics for me are really, you know, hard to handle sometimes. <laughs> yeah. They're interesting. Conversational. Um, I really don't think everyone should be allowed to have a gun that doesn't know how to use it, but you know, yeah. I live here. So what do I do? Yeah. Um, but I was, I was telling someone in my office the other day, I, I let someone in on the freeway and they didn't wave at me. And I'm like, okay, they're not from here. I can tell they're not from here. You know, yeah. you're supposed to wave if somebody does something nice uh, while you're driving. But it's um, so I, true that that whole kind of thing <laughs> is yes. when when those values start to go, that's when the the, the culture changes. You know, that, that yes, courtesy, I, that whole um, I, I lived in Dallas many years ago. And um, one of the things that struck me was and Dallas is way different than Austin, but one of the things that struck me was people were courteous. Yeah. You know, and, and respectful. You know, yes, I, I, well, you, we were taught that, you know, yeah. you, you, you're courteous, you're kind, um, you try and put yourself in other people's shoes, that type of thing. And that's hard to do on a day-to-day -day basis for sure. sure. I don't, I don't do that every day. Um, but those basic things of, holding doors for people and mm -hmm. um, helping people that need, you know, assistance. It's, you know, if you're in the grocery store and someone needs help or some, uh, especially someone older or someone that's not feeling well or whatever, you just, you always did those things and you never thought about it. And, and that's, uh, that's definitely eroded, you know, over, over time. And just um, sometimes I think it may come back. I don't know. <laughs> I, I was about to say, I think it's one of those neat things that, um, that it, that's embedded in the culture still in Texas. And, and certainly I see it in Austin, yeah. um, but that's because I know Austin better. But yeah, it, there is a, there's a, a loveliness about that where people will still help other people. Then they, they reach out to, sure. you know, they'll take the time. They'll take the, they'll make yes. the time and take the time. It's a yes. beautiful and thing. I think that's that's pretty much across the state, I think, and in Austin for sure. Austin's yeah. I think always been like that and is still hanging on to that. So I love the Austin um, you know, keep it weird, um, which is something that people have said to me has died out a bit as well, this whole keep it weird thing. And um yeah. 
other than on sixth street you know or dirty sixth um it's yeah. like it, it's still sort of a, a tourist trap thing but I, I think there's a lovely thing in that as well because it sort of talks about it being um multi-dimensional and that it's okay it's accepting people to be who they are and you know we just were chatting before about you know armadillo world headquarters and really that was the place where rock and country blended that was that was the change where the yeah. you know the, the rockers on one side and the country people on the other that would all fight in the car park suddenly went hold right. on a second we're together on this and music was yeah born of it you know it, it just changed it and accepted well it again. And- I think too, there's a, there's a story that I think a lot of people don't know about the Dillo for sure is where all that started. And it was just this big melting pot. I mean, you know, Frank Zappa would play followed by a country band. By Willie Nelson, you know, yeah. (laughs) Or John Denver. (laughs) Who wouldn't have had an audience if it hadn't been for getting his, his feet wet and a place to play at the dealer where people could hear him because he wasn't top 40. He wasn't uh, easily pigeonholed. Right. So Willie Nelson and Daryl Royal, who was the football coach at UT who won the national championship twice. It's like, you know, God's here. And Daryl was at the here, here, Yeah. yeah. Right. He was, he was at the top of the pile. Um, he was a music lover and he and Willie Nelson were best friends and they could, appeared to be polar opposites right except for they loved music they had this this commonality there and so Daryl Royal had a basement in his house and he used to hold what he called picking parties and Willie would show up with Merle and Bob Dylan would show up with Johnny Cash and it was just Neil Young might come in with Chris Christopherson but there were country people there, rock people there, folk people there, and they all sat and played together. And so you had this, this just incredible mix where they all learned from each other, kind of the same vibe as what happened in Laurel Canyon in the early 70s with everybody yeah. living on the same street with Crosby, Stills, Nash & Young and Joni yeah. Mitchell and all those people. So UT went to Daryl Worrell and said, no, 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 no. You cannot do this anymore. You cannot run around with these, you know, dope smoking. With these dope smoking hippies. <laughs> right? So specifically Willie. Even if you are him, above God in this pecking order, you yes, can't do that. Yeah. No, you can't, you can't do that. And he told him to go to hell. Uh, only I think he said something else. But yeah. <laughs> um, and, and then he said, and you, you can't do anything to me because I just won the national championship. Yeah, yeah, I love that <laughs> because he was right. They couldn't do anything to him. But what if he had caved? We might not have the music that we have. You it's know, so something might have been different. So it was this place where all those people would show up. And, you know, uh, Eddie Wilson tells this story. He was the owner and the founder of the Armadillo um, about Zappa coming into town. This was uh, I don't know, 71 or 72, early 70s. Uh, he got into town a day early, screwed his dates up. And so he got there and he was like, uh, you know, I'm just hanging out. And he goes, I think I'm going to work the concession stand. Do you care? And he was like, no, have at it. <laughs> so at the end of the night, he said, uh, did anyone recognize you? And he said, nobody said anything, but I'm pretty sure I sold nachos to Bob Dylan. <laughs> and yeah. so he's like, there's just such a great story. And I think the dealer was just like that. It was just, That's you know, so it was awful. There were no chairs. You sat on this awful carpet. Just nobody cared. You know, you just listen and you just listen to such great stuff. And when um, I did the Four Seasons Residence Tower in Austin a few years ago, and so I was talking to the developers about what to put in the corridors for all the 29th. 30 floors I had to do of the residence. and they were like yeah. of the residence tower. Right. Not the hotel. Yeah. So I have all these quarters I had to put art in and they were like, you know, blue bonnet paintings. I'm like, I quit. I'm not done. I'm not <laughs> doing blue bonnet painting. I'm like, you know, this is, Austin. <laughs> this is Austin. How about a original vintage posters from the armadillo? They're still around. And this was 10 years ago or so. And they're not around nearly like they were, yeah. but the vintage pieces were still around and it was go- it was like going down just over decade after decade after decade of all these amazing people that played, you know, everybody from Duke Ellington yeah. to um, ZZ Top to yeah. Edgar Winter 
to Jerry Garcia. I mean, Graham Parsons, every Van Morrison, Bruce Springsteen, and when nobody knew who Springsteen was, yeah, that poster just sold a few years ago for like five thousand dollars or something. There's just a few of them floating around. So we did. We framed like two hundred and forty of them for all those hallways. How um, sensational! That's I know, so cool. I know, and they were very. They were very conservative. And so they were like, oh, my God, and it's like drugs and all that. I'm like, nobody cares about that anymore. I mean, it was just the music thing. It's where it's where Austin started. And so they were very iffy. And so outside of the model for the very first place that people could go, I hung uh, Pinky Friedman from 1974 and Jerry Garcia from 1972. And the first person that they showed the unit to was a film producer in in Hollywood and he had gone to UT and he walks up to the door and he sees the Garcia poster and he starts crying and tells the sales manager that he uh, had been at that show. And so I never heard another word from those guys. <laughs> how much, how much that did you have to it. pay that actor to go and do that? I, know, yeah. I was like, they probably thought I paid that guy, but I was like, Oh, that's a nice story. <laughs> What a fabulous a thing, though. Like, um, yeah, just also great assets for the um, hotel, you know, for the residents, you know, as in a building. It's a great yeah, asset. Pieces of Austin history. Yeah, just and it it weaves part of that culture and history and story and just grows the city and its uh, legend, I suppose, uh, along the way. And it means that things like, you know, yeah. when Armadillo World Headquarters was gone, it means that um, it hasn't gone. It hasn't gone. It means yeah. people ask the question. Yeah. And and I think people are, well, the residents for sure, you know, some of them are old enough that they went there. And yeah. if they didn't go there, they wish they had gone there, yeah. you know, but they, they know all those musicians and just the, the breadth of talent and the diversity of who played there is just a testament to where Austin has ended up, I think. It, it's like in Nashville, the Grand Old Opry. It's... Yeah. Everybody it, wants it, to play it, there. It doesn't matter who you are. Yeah. They want to play in that building, you know. It's a, and, yeah. and it's a bit like the Continental Club as well as like that, you know. Totally. Um, to, to, be, to, to be on the stage in the Continental Club, doesn't matter how big your band is. You want it on. You yeah. want it as part of your experience. It's, um, yeah. it's just, yeah, parts of that magic that make the fabric of the city. You know, Talking about that, and uh, I'm going to dive all over the place here because I haven't really thought out my total plan of what we're going to talk <laughs> about. But talking about that part and then talking about when you create an interior and in your interiors, you create stories. And mm-hmm. it's stories of, and I want you to tell me some of the stories of, how you take a person, their uh, environment, their home, their story, their loves, their things. How do you do that from your perspective to create these spaces for them that ultimately become their homes? Not always. Sometimes it might be businesses or whatever, or, you know, a hotel or something. But how do you take, what, what's your process? What happens there? Um, and how do you not just fall in love with every client that you end up doing it for because you learn so much about them? I fall in love with most of them. <laughs> it's kind of I one way imagine. or the other. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's either on um, or it's off. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and they become really close personal friends and for decades. Yeah. But I think you have to start out by what we do, I think, is intimidating to so many people, right? It's like um, if they haven't done it before, they're instantly afraid that you're going to talk down to them. You're going to talk to them like, you're the only person at the table with good taste. Um, you don't like any of their stuff. You know, just everyone's insecurities come up, you know, totally. It's not like, and you're going to drag me through an art gallery, which is really the last thing I want to do. I mean, that kind of thing. And so I just usually start by, I think you can, you can get where you need to be if you're honest and you, you're not a prima donna and you have a sense of humor. And we can all have a reality check, right? So like, yeah. if you, and I just tell them that. I'm like, and if we need to have this conversation, I have tons of conversations with clients, especially over lighting budgets, because no one ever understands 
why lighting costs what it costs. Like, meet me in the bar at Jeffrey's. We're going to go over the lighting budget. And they were like, oh, shit. You know, I was like, <laughs> no, just that's a that's bad. And I'm like, no, it's not going to be bad. And, and, you know, after a few drinks, it's not bad. Yeah. Um, I think if you can sit and laugh about something, if the lighting budget is like horrific, yeah. or I've shown you something that you think I've lost my mind, you can tell me, right? I've heard it all. Um, it's if you are not threatening and it's just the whole idea is that at the end of the day, I've shown you things that you would never have found. I've put together a mix that you would have never thought of and told you it was okay. Yeah. I have woven in your personal things and your story. Um, not all of them, not everything works. Right. Yep. And your story and your personal photographs and your whatever it is that's important to you cannot go away just because I got here. Right. Um, but maybe it's grandmother's buffet that really is hideous and you think it's hideous too, but you can't get rid of it, but we lacquer it. And we'll, you know, work, out, still we'll work out where buffet. it could go. Yep. Yep. Yes, we find a place for it. And maybe we monkey with it. Maybe we don't. But you can't get rid of your history. Um, uh, I don't believe in interiors where there's no personal photographs out. Uh -huh. You know, I mean, not that you hang them over the fireplace in the living room, but there's a place for it because you and everyone that comes in your house loves looking at that. Mm -hmm. Always. They mm -hmm. always get hung up there. If there's a if there's a gallery wall with family photographs on it. I do it in other people's houses. Absolutely. You know, it's just like, I love looking at that. Well, it creates a deeper connection with the person whose house you're in for yourself. You, you get yes. to, you get to see them, you know, especially if they're candid photographs, you get to see them unplugged, you know, you don't get yes. to see them just posing. And, and then the magic of it, you know, like I, I, I worked and you worked in the fashion industry and, you know, I remember um, a model that I worked with many times over the years and she used to have this um, crinkle in her nose when she really smiled. And yeah. I would say to her, no, no, what am I going to do to you that's going to make you really smile? Because <laughs> I don't want to shop without the crinkle in your nose. And she'd yeah. go, but yeah, but, yeah, but that's not, and I go, I want them to see not just the fashion we're putting on you. I want them to see you because you're such yeah. an awesome person. And that, yeah. that part. And, you know, years later, she said to me, she said it was a, it was one of those things where she suddenly gained the confidence um, for, to have that, to, to, yeah. to go, this is me. It's like having a, yeah. a big loud laugh or laughing <laughs> like a donkey or whatever the hell it is. If it's what you do, then do that shit, you know, get it done. I just exactly. Be you. I, <laughs> I think too that when you, most of the world doesn't get to do this, right? They don't get yeah. to design their own personal space. So for all of us that are lucky enough to do that, you should, you should enjoy it. You should have a great time with it. You should have fun with it, and you should never take it for granted. Oh, very um, humbling. You know, and never. Yeah. And, and, and never feel entitled either. I'm out. Mm -hmm. If you're entitled, if you feel entitled, I'm gone. Yeah. But, you know, appreciate it for what it is, but have a good time. You, and I think when projects go south and people get off on the wrong foot is when you don't have those conversations early on where you're all on the same page about how much it's going to cost, because that's what derails it. Right. Yep. And if you, if you're realistic and you're honest with each other, you can make it work. If you yeah. don't have enough money to do all the lights, great. Then, then make, make sure we get these choices. ones here. Yeah, make sure exactly. these ones. And and cut down, cut down a few of them, so you don't have yeah. to buy so many. And you know, I think people really appreciate that. Um, most of our businesses repeat business at this point. You know, we're doing the fifth project, the sixth project for clients. So, yeah. you know, I think at the end of the day, if if it's my goal is that it's your house. You love it. It looks like you and it looks better than you thought it would. Yeah. <laughs> that I, I it, it came out much better than you thought it ever could. And then I've done my job. So I have this saying with clients, which is so much similar in, in the sense of I, I, I just so, so agree with you with this. I say to them, so I might be designing them a house and I go, um, you know, this is your chance to be selfish and ask for everything you could possibly want. Just ask because you'll never get it if you don't. And I don't know that you're going to get it anyway, but at least put it out there. 
And no matter how weird it sounds or how kind of kooky you think you might be and you, I say, get it out there because I'm never going to live in this house. This is not my home. It's not where I live. But what we can do is is find where we can make what you live in. And it's about you. It's not about me. It's to me, it's a a bunch of boxes that we're going to, you know, get light into and air into and all the rest. But it's about how you live and how you want to live for the next five years, 10 years, 15 years, 20 years. Let's map those things out. And, um, and then go from there, you know, like it's, yeah, it's, uh, it's all about them. And, and it's such, you, you know, you're saying it's such a privileged position to be able to do that for people to be, be, first of all, to be trusted. Yeah, (laughs) I mean, for sure. (laughs) I I sometimes think, you know, we'll be doing a house and, 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 you know, the build cost might be a few million dollars or something. And I go, do these idiots realize that um, they're trusting me with $2 million or $3 million? <laughs> oh, my God, what's the matter with these people, you know? Um, because somewhere along the line, you build the trust to be able to do that. But it's no more important yes. than the person who's got $50,000 to spend on this little piece of a project. That they're, they're all yeah. They all deserve the same amount of um, care and exactly. humility and, and the fun of the journey. Yeah. And you know, fun. Yeah. I mean, yeah. it's just, it is so much fun to do this. And I always feel bad when I hear somebody talk about how, Oh, I just hated that whole thing. I'm like, how could that be? Oh, <laughs> you when, know, it's like, we laugh through our entire projects, you know, and, and at the end of the day that you're really, all you're after is they're happy and we're proud of what it looks like. And, absolutely. You know, yeah, and it's a good reflection of them. I think that's so neat. That's so neat. Um, no. Let's jump back to fashion and tell me okay. about your fashion journey. Oh. So how did that happen? Like what happened with that and where did it, when did you go, yeah, I'm taking this to Ontario? Um, okay, so I started off out of college. Uh, I got a degree in accounting. And because my mother told me I could never make any money doing interiors, I couldn't support myself. And I believed her. And so I got a degree in accounting, which is a great. I bet asset. you it's been, you know, I, I can do a budget. Say, I bet it's been a massive <laughs> asset in understanding people um, and, and understanding oh, yeah. money and, and what you've done as well. Yeah, it, it's, it's a huge help. Yeah. Um, but I, I never thought about as a, as a kid graduating from college, I never thought about, what kind of environment I would be in when I graduated and started doing accounting. And so I'm working for a huge firm. I never thought about the environment I would be in and who would be in the building with me. Oh shit! <laughs> and it was like, Oh my gosh. Uh, <laughs> I was doing tax returns one night in my office and the big boss came down the hall and, you know, I'm just in this little closet and I was listening to Dylan on my little cassette recorder and doing tax returns at 10 o'clock at night. And he was like, who is that? What are you doing? And I'm like, I'm listening to Bob. And he was like, Bob, who? And I'm like, oh, you don't know that voice? I mean, how could you not know who that's who that is? And I said, oh, it's Bob Dylan. And he goes, well, you know, he's a communist. And I'm like, I'm in the wrong building. <laughs> I mean, this was just one thing after another. I got in trouble for what I wore to work. It was just like, oh. So I painted my office without permission one weekend because it was so ugly. And I was just like Ralph Lauren khaki, you know, this is like 1979. Ralph Lauren was king on 7th Avenue. And I thought, oh, oh, this yeah. is very professional, you know, and they're going to look at this and they're going to think, oh, my God, I needed her to pick colors out for the rest of the office. It's <laughs> not what happened. <laughs> so I got fired. My, my boss came in. He was like, oh, Fern, what have you done? And I'm like. Uh, doesn't it look great? <laughs> She's like, I, you know what's going to happen. I'm just going to have to let you go. So he took me to lunch. He was so sweet to me. Um, and in the meantime, I called one of my clients who had a clothing store and he and his wife were getting a divorce and I knew that he needed someone. I had never worked a day of retail in my life. I was a, I grew up, you know, literally my dad left and there was no money and we cleaned offices at night, that kind of thing. I went to school on my own. Um, but I had a subscription to, uh, 
AD to, to Architectural Digest. Yeah. I had magazines. I had Vogue, like Paris Vogue, and all. This. I had my walls were just covered with clothes and houses. And you know, I had studied Elsa Schiaparelli. I knew every single fashion designer from Pourette from 1910, you know, forward, and what they had contributed and all of that. Loved fashion. I had no idea about running a store or buying anything or how retail worked or what a standard Keystone markup was or yeah, anything. right, anything. And and I just talked my way into this job. I literally called my client and said, "I think I'm getting fired." for painting my office without permission <laughs> and I want to come work for you. And he hired me. And, you know, that was, that was my foot in the door. And when I moved to Austin, the people at the Dallas apparel Mart were like, we know this girl yeah. that you would be perfect for. Uh, and Beth Dinius had a clothing store here from 79 until I left uh, in 93. And she sold it because she moved to LA in 88. And she did literally, she had worked at Neiman's in the, gone through Neiman's training program and all that. We bought American Couture, Blast, Oscar, Herrera, every every big one, Um, Donna Karen. And then we did Armani, Valentino, Angaro, and then down to what we call carpool clothes, which was all the private label stuff um, that that, uh, clients that didn't work, but, you know, they worked at home with their kids and all that. So... We had everything, uh, Joan and David's shoes, all of that. And so I, she hired me to be the buyer and run the store. Um, I had never uh, traveled anywhere. I'd never been anywhere. I was dying wow. to go to Portofino because I read about it in the drifters. I mean, I had never yeah. gone on a vacation. I'd never been out of Texas, really. And my first trip to New York, uh, I was 26 and I got out of the cab on the wrong side of the street, almost got run over and <laughs> got in trouble for that. And then I got in the, we sh- and she stayed in the most incredible places. It was my exposure to the world, my education in the world. Mm-hmm. We stayed at the Plaza Ateneo on East 64th between wow. Madison and Parton since 1982. Um, and I got in that revolving uh, door yep. that yep. had the four compartments, but I got in right behind her in the same compartment. So you were shuffling behind me. her as oh, you- no. I, we got out on the other side and she was like, you don't do that. You wait for the next one. And I was like, well, who knew that? I, I mean, how would I know that? <laughs> so the next morning we get in the elevator to go down to breakfast and I don't make eye contact with the people in the elevator. You know, and I'm looking at the floor and Beth said something to me and I answered her and I hear this voice say, Texas. And I look up and it's Paul McCartney, Paul and Linda McCartney were dry, were going down the elevator to breakfast and, I just thought I'm on another planet and our, we ate breakfast and our first appointment was across the street at Miss Herrera's townhouse. That was the first year she was in business wow. and she showed us the line herself with the butler bringing tea and the little dog running around. And I was trying desperately to pretend I knew what I was doing. So that was my first day in the fashion business. How awesome. Oh my God. How awesome. <laughs> uh, I just love it, that. I love that. It was just, it was amazing. I mean, you know, to sit in Mr. Chow's on East 59th, you know, with Warhol over there, I mean, you know, and Halston in there. I mean, just Ah. all of that going and all the Ruhlman sconces and the lacquer, you know, walls. And, oh, I just, or the Armani showroom that had the most incredible banquettes that were in this beautiful olive uh, wool mohair. Oh, I'll never forget those. Because so I was studying the banquette and Beth's going, which jacket do you want to buy? And I'm like, look at this. this thing. <laughs> She's like, I don't care about the banquette. <laughs> so it was just, it was, a, I was a sponge. I was just a total sponge. And so I did that forever, but you've been in the fashion business. You know, I was in, it's, if you have a family, it's so hard. And I, I had yeah. a little boy and I was never home and I was in Dallas, LA, New York, whatever. Yeah. And so when he was nine, one of my friends called me and she was like, cause I had been doing this on the side for my friends for free. It was like stress relief from my real job. Um, and I would take my day off and drive to Dallas and, and check fabric out that I had no clients for and bring home bags of fabric and lay them all out on the, you know, and memorize everything yeah. uh, and study the fabric contents and 
who did this and who did this and what does Saroost Walnut look like? All of that kind of thing. And then the next week I would drive it all back to Dallas and I would check out a bunch more and bring it home and study that and get catalogs and study. I had no clients that could afford anything that I was looking at. Nothing. So but you're layering finally, in the layering I, in the depth of the learning and the understanding of what things were, and yeah, your 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 education level would have just been like chunk 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 just layering up. Oh, um, just totally. incredibly, yeah. And, and learning and then the you rules. You would check books out and follow that. Learning the Do rules, what? so you're learning the rules, so then you can break them. Yeah, you can't yeah. you can't break the rules without knowing the rules or, or you can't manipulate them and you can't create new things without at first learning the rules and getting an understanding. And then once you've got an understanding of the rules, then you get this beautiful ability to be innovative. Suddenly things come alive. Yeah. Just, that's so true. Uh, and, and I was just so lucky. I was just, I think I had a job come along. A friend called me and she said, okay, put up or shut up. It's, it's done. If you want to really do this, I'm going to give you a shot at it. I have a client that just sold his business for $30 million. He's 26 years old and he, he owns a futon <laughs> and he wants you to do the whole thing. And he wants to drive his new car up and have a party. I mean, the whole thing. So wow. it would, I quit. I quit. I quit my job. No money in the bank. Colin was nine and, um, and went did this project. In. Just went all yeah, in. Yeah, I mean, just I mean, I was over there ironing the sheets myself. I did the whole. I had no employees, <laughs> and then I slept over there the night before he moved in because I had all this stuff in there. I thought, oh my gosh, what if somebody breaks in? I don't know what I was thinking. I got my my uh, my leaf blower, <laughs> and I slept with it because this friend of mine had said, you know, if it's dark and you turn that thing on, it will sound like the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. You just scare the hell out of someone. I'm like, I'm doing it. That's what I'm doing. I don't have a gun. I'm just going to use my leaf Damn, blower. That's the best advice. Every, everybody in Texas after this will sleep with a leaf blower oh, under no. their bed. <laughs> I, was like, I was safe. No one broke in. And I went, oh, my gosh, I put this um, Elvis on, this backfired on me, Elvis on Black Velvet, which it was awful. He was crying. It was just the, the worst, tackiest thing I had ever seen. A really bad rendition of Elvis. And I hung it over the fireplace as a ha-ha. And he walks in and and he's got people coming in like two hours. And I had something else hanging there. I yeah. just left that there. He looked at it and he goes, how did you know? I, no. I love Elvis. <laughs> and I'm like, no. uh, I didn't know that, but that's a joke. That's that's just coming right down. He goes, oh, no, that's staying. I thought, I am so screwed. I mean, this is my first job anyone's ever going to see. And there oh is this God. terrible black velvet Elvis over the fireplace. Anyway, it works <laughs> out fine. Hey, <laughs> he, again, again, you would have <laughs> learned so much of the journey of um, learning about people. And then yeah. also, you know, like you were saying before um, about if that's what they've got or that's what they like, then then you work with what they've got and what they like. You know, if it's yeah. if it's grandma's old, you know, dresser or whatever, then yeah. how do we make that happen? Something that I did a couple of years ago um, was I went to Graceland and you must have been. Have you been to Graceland? Oh, I've been. Yes, totally. Yeah. Um, I went to Graceland and what an amazing snapshot in time. I'd love to get to go upstairs, but amazing, amazing snapshot yeah. in time. And every room is like, you know, opening a different um, can piece of candy, you know, unwrapping a different piece of candy. It's all in that, that space. I, I just, um, not that I was a huge Elvis fan, but I gained so much from, uh, I've been twice from being in that space yeah. and just looking at, yeah. how they did it and you know downstairs in the museum kind of part where it's got all the sketches of of from the right. interior design companies and stuff <laughs> um and then just <laughs> recently on netflix there was a an a special on elvis and um it tells you about his life and about all these different things that happened and when you yeah. when i couple that with the the journey of actually exploring graceland on my own yeah. again i just go wow um, it yeah. shows you that fabric of the human being as well as everything else. It does. I have, it I really have this does. 
fabulous little story about when I went there. So, you know, across the road, how his aeroplanes and stuff are there. So I go across the road. It was bloody freezing. God, it was cold. Anyway, I go across the road and there's his little jet, the, the little commuter jet, you know, and it's got green, yellow, orange, um, cream, off-white, off um, green, yellow, orange. That might be it, actually. Those might be the only colours in that interior. And I take a photo. So this thing's, I don't know when that last flew, but maybe in the 80s or something. I take a photo down the, it was probably designed in the late 70s or something. I don't know. But he I took died a, in 77. So it would have oh, been well, before that. Oh, there you go. That. So it would have been before that. So I take a photo down inside it and um, I put, I put it on the Instagram post and it says something about, um, you know, private jets or whatever. And the, the thing that I loved was, first of all, all the people went, yeah, typical, that'd be you, Adrian, you were on somebody's private jet. That was the first thing. I'm, be I'm behind the perspex screen that stops you from going in. So everybody just automatically thinks, yes, of course, Adrian, he'd be in somebody's private jet. And the other was how acceptable they were about how cool all the colours and stuff were. And yeah. I, I DM'd people <laughs> back and said to them, it's actually Elvis's. And <laughs> I wasn't inside, I was behind a screen. And isn't it interesting how you'd get in that jet today and go, how cool is this? And it's a snapshot, it's that snapshot in time, you know, like yeah, so, so fabulous, so fabulous. <laughs> I love your fashion story. You know, like fashion's such an exciting space, but it it it's one that um, you work so incredibly hard and so incredibly diversely um, that it has a and, and you're always away and it has that burnout kind of nature. I did seven years yeah. of being out of the country for more than six months of the year, but that was oh. in, in two week stints. You know. Um, and finally I went, yeah, I'm done. Seven years constantly of that. It reminded me of that movie that had, um, I think it was George Clooney in it where I can't think who, maybe Glenn Close or something, and they, um, would, they would travel around firing people. You know, they, they, I can't remember what it was called, but it was all about how many points you had on your, on your frequent flyer membership and all that sort of stuff you know it's like yeah yeah sure we can go to wherever yeah no problem here's a ticket you know because we've got so many ridiculous amount of points from just traveling exactly. constantly mm. hey tell me about um Meadowbank and um okay. the project that you've done and, and remember other than people looking on your instagram or something they won't know so tell me about it and what matters about it and then what's coming in the future for it? Because I'd really love to discuss that. Okay. Um, I guess about three years ago, my sister and I, my younger sister lives in Houston and her kids were, they're now empty nesters. They were uh, in high school and college. And we were talking about doing a project together. Maybe we'll fix up a cottage or something and sell it. And um that was the very beginning of it. We found founded this company called Bespoke Dwellings and we started looking for properties and we started trying to discuss what the business model would be um, and decided to roll both of our philosophies and one that I've gone to UT and talked about as well in, in the interior design field for years uh, into this business model and see if we could change the way people talk about doing things and the way people actually uh act when they're in a business situation. Mm -hmm. And so the first part of it was that we wanted to put together a team of an architect, a builder, a landscape architect, and us um, that would do this project. And it would be completely furnished down to the sheets, towels, artwork, coasters, everything, um, so that there was a cohesive sense to the design. You follow it all the way through. Uh -huh. The idea was to build something with integrity that was for sale. Um, what's happened in Austin is what's happened a lot of places, I think. You have people building spec houses that 
I don't think we'll be here in 10 years. Yeah. I think they'll be torn down. They're, yeah. they're just the least expensive kind of construction that they can do. And it, it's really hard. I totally get it because the dirt here now is so, so upside down mm-hmm. that, you know, by the time you pay for the lot, you don't have enough money to build the house the way mm-hmm. you want it to be. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, and if you're trying to make money on it and it's a business, it's even harder. So I drive around town and I think, oh, my gosh, I just hate what they did with that lot. Right. It was just eyesore um, and it's torn down to be in the landfill. The whole thing is bad. So how can we build something that will last, that has long legs? That's not a trend. It's not. We've gone through the Texas Tuscan thing, which is really um, <laughs> for about the last 20 years. <laughs> Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. Yes. And then we did the generic hill country thing. And then we did the white box thing. And now we're doing the modern farmhouse thing, which is there's like three of them on my street. So we were trying to do something that, uh, and there are lots of modern farmhouses that I love, but just not what's being built for spec. Right. Yeah. So even the Tuscan Tuscan thing, there are some beautiful examples of that that are sensational homes, like just, Yes, and, and the best of what would have come from Tuscany is is put into those homes and into the feel of them. You know, when it's done right. well, it's not a problem. It's when it's done so poorly, it's a problem. Yes, and that's mostly what happened. Yeah, though, right. So, so we wanted to put something out there that we were proud of, um, and that some type of architecture and styles of architecture that you don't see around here very much anymore. So that was the build part. The business part of it, though, the philosophy behind it was the first part was that we all share credit, that um, it's a collaborative. We all we all have good ideas. We all have bad ideas. We can all sit at the table and laugh about them. And we're working with people we've worked with forever. Um, So we all share credit. And the second part was we promote our project partners. So this industry has, a, I think, a not so healthy attitude about um, giving away your sources. And I, if you can, you can see from my Instagram posts, I'm telling everybody yeah. my sources. Yeah. Um, you promote, these you are the promote people, people. Yeah. Yes. These are the people that I go to that make me look good. Yeah. Um, and I wouldn't look good without them. I yeah. can't do what they do. Right. So we're, is another, we're all in this together. That was the overriding philosophy. And we felt strongly that that, that message needed to be heard more. So, um, you know, we're telling everybody our resources and we have project partners that we're helping, you know, uh, we affiliated with for the project, some national and some local, some regional people we do business with, mm-hmm. uh, everyone from First Dibs to uh, Janice AC to Ann Sachs to local, my local marble fabricator, um, Shota Yamaguchi, who I talked to you about a little uh-huh. bit before, as, as uh, Sid, as Shota Yamaguchi Design. Um, there were just, you know, Sub-Zero Wolf, um, because we spec a lot of their, I love of their course. appliances. Yeah. So uh, Urban Electric, I absolutely love their lighting, and I love Dave Dawson, and I love his philosophy and how he treats his employees um, and how he builds such quality. And Kyle Bunting, who is the king of hair hide um, and just does pieces of art that happen to be rugs. And we used him in a different way. Uh, He's on the walls. uh, So he calls that hide paper. It's actually paper backed hair hide, but it's all laser cut and, you know, put together. So incredible. I've got to look at that. Uh, They're just artwork. So he's on the walls in the media room. He's on the ceiling of the bar and he's on the floor in the master closet. Um, so that was the second part to promote all those people. And hopefully it's a win-win for everyone because we were really trying to figure out how can you, this is not a charity. It's a business. Mm -hmm. How can you make money and get the message out and set up a model that maybe other people will try and do. That's a win-win for everyone involved. So, and at the, so obviously we're at the top of the market where most people can't afford to buy the house. I can't afford to buy that house. Uh Um, and so how can we use that house that only a small percentage can afford to benefit the, the city at large, to benefit our community? Yeah. So we decided that we would attach a nonprofit to each project at the very beginning. And we would Instagram, blog, 
uh, get as much press for them as we can throughout the entire build. And at the end of the day, um, uh, actually use the house for benefit to have events and they get a hundred percent of the money. That's my other pet peeve. I'm done with the gala thing where they get 12% after you pay all the expenses. So our job became, how do we throw these events and we find underwriters, we help pay for it, whatever. Somehow we need to pay for it. So they get a hundred percent of the revenue. So, um, Tito's Vodka, Tito and Lori Beverage are friends and clients. I love both of them. And they are so good to, they do so many philanthropic things that nobody knows. Yeah. Um, and they underwrote the event that we've already had at the house so that uh, Ham got 100% of it. I saw the guitar, so, the, the, uh, yes. the guitar, the Tito's guitar. And yeah, yeah, they're such an institution, Tito's, as a Texas company and stuff. I have uh, in my so in my selection of bandanas that I, I wear. I've been wearing some during COVID. <laughs> one of them's a Tito's one. <laughs> here, Tito's isn't well known. Here, here, nobody knows of Tito's. Really? Yeah. Well, they do, but not many. Yeah. Yeah. But like a friend of mine, it's- I did his house, and he we bought a bar from. Um, he he bought it in Paris. And an antique bar and shipped it to Australia. Oh, wow. And um, yeah, one of the things there was he was going through the different drinks that he needed before he stocked it. And uh, one of the ones <laughs> I sent him was Tito's. And he's, he's, Tito's. He, yeah, he's very affiliated with Austin as well. He's a business coach. And um, Keith Cunningham, who is, I don't know whether you know Keith Cunningham um, yeah. from, from Austin. I, well, I don't know him. I know the. So I he's, name, he's Rich Dad from the book Rich Dad and Poor Dad. He's Rich Dad um, I'm from Robert Kiyosaki's book. And um, Bruce and, and, um, <laughs> and uh, yeah, um, what do you call it? Um, Keith are very good mates. And, you know, he, he's Bruce's coach and uh, they go back for years. And Bruce brings or takes people that he coaches from here to see Keith in Austin. So all these lovely synergies, but Tito's was oh, one that yeah. I said to him and Tito's vodka, you know, like on the list <laughs> and Balcones whiskey, I love it. you know, Balcones whiskey <laughs> as well. Yeah. Of course. Oh yeah. my gosh. Yeah. Well, they, they've been amazing. So they, they underwrote that, that event. And so that's what we're, what, that's what we're trying to do is build quality promote people that help us and help a charity and not just raise money, but raise awareness. I mean, this charity was ham, which is health Alliance for Austin musicians, which Robin Shivers founded about 15 years ago, 16 years ago. Um, And it's the only way that working Austin musicians for the most part, have any health insurance Um, before ham. They, they just didn't have any. Um, so, and they're a lean and mean organization. They don't spend a bunch of it on administration stuff. It goes towards uh, really buying affordable health care for those guys. So for everyone that comes to Austin and loves music and all of us that live here and love music, it's time to pony up, you know, and just, and help out. So their average donation is $20 and that's not going to do it anymore. So we're trying to raise more money and larger donations and And awareness um, so far so good. Yeah. I mean, if you can get, if you can get a million people to give 20 bucks, fantastic. Yes. But you know, that that will come off the back of some people giving, you know, a million bucks kind of stuff, you know? Yeah. And we need some of those people, you know? So, so that's, that's the whole, the whole concept. So Meadow bank was, it was kind of all about music anyway, this house Uh, It just started out like that. Um, Basically, I'm a Macintosh junkie. We talked Uh about that. I love vacuum tubes. I love the fact that we've we've never duplicated that sound. We gave it up for convenience, right? Which is okay. Uh There's a place for everything. But but if you really, and it's, you don't have to be an audiophile to hear the difference. It's a soulful quality that you don't get with digital. So I've, I'm the same as most people, I think, in this business. All the black box stuff, I don't want to see it. I want it in the closet in a rack. But the yeah. Macintosh blue meters and those green vacuum tubes and the green glowing turntable of the gods. Yeah. Um, Let's show that off. Out. Yeah. It's a piece of art. Jewelry. Yeah, it's jewelry. jewelry. Yeah. And now you can stream to it. So you can play vinyl 
and you can string to it. So it takes your digital signal, converts it to analog, runs it through the vacuum tubes. And it sounds like Bob's right there. It's just amazing. Yes, I'm totally serious. I've got to look at that. That's so cool. (laughs) And they have have a new turntable out for people that don't have a ton of space Uh um, that is integrated with Bluetooth. It's, you know, the whole nine yards. So you can stream to that as well. It has two vacuum tubes on top of it, but it has the integrated amp and all that. So all you need are speakers. So we put that system up in the third floor bar library. And it's just up there. And then we put the big Macintosh system in the main room. I wanted to show people that you can live with music in the big fat middle of your life. And it doesn't have to be relegated to the media room. And it can be beautiful and sexy. So like you said, a big piece of jewelry. So, and you were telling me earlier that you've got a, um, for, for the fundraiser, you've got an event coming up in October. Um, two, two, two yes. events. Yes, two events. <laughs> um, and again, you know, through your clients and through you know the the other people in the cooperative that you've got, through their clients, um, you've got this event happening. Give us the runway on that, and um, obviously closer to it, we'll start promoting it through what we can with the podcast. Oh, Maybe we'll come back and talk wonderful. about it again. Maybe with some of the people that are going to be there or anything like that. Um, okay. And because we've got the AIA um, Homes Tour will be happening around the same time, maybe we can um, combine some of that sort of media stuff. Who knows? Who knows right. what we can stitch together? Because I'm a networker. Okay. I love stitching stuff together. <laughs> that that's, sounds great. That's my joy. So tell us about what's happening there. Okay. So we, we think it will be the end of October, so close to F1 after the AIA Tour. The first is two dinners, um, 50 to 60 people each night. Um, all the 100% of the proceeds go to ham. So we should raise several hundred thousand dollars, I think, uh, for those two nights. The first night is a dinner with um, Macintosh uh, hosting it as the DJ. Um, and it's really song request night. So it's a dinner that Everyone gets a playlist. They pick three or four songs. We give them to, I I think Josh Dellinger is coming down, who is amazing. He works for Macintosh. Um, And he will put them in whatever order he thinks they make the most sense. And while you're eating dinner, he plays the music and everyone sits there all night going, whose song is this? It's so much fun for a dinner party. So, and and that was part of it too. I wanted to just show people a different way to do a dinner party, you know, that uh, that you might not have thought about. I mean, because I think what happened when we quit listening to vinyl, that whole interactive thing of going to someone's house and taking your new record with you went away. That whole interactive business kind of just went away. And so this is an attempt to bring that back and just everyone have a great night. Um, the next night is um, Brene Brown, who is just uh, a, an amazing person, um, just love her to death, um, client and friend. And she is as much of a music nut as I am. And she's listened to me just go on and on and on about Meadowbank for three years. <laughs> and she was like, oh, help. She volunteered to help. I was like, oh, my gosh. So and of course, she's a huge draw. So um, we will uh, Ham will benefit from that in such a great way. And so it's Brene and a musical guest to be announced uh, in dinner. Wow. (laughs) Wow. I know. We're excited. And, 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 you know, a a 50 or 60 person dinner is um, if you want to have dinner with Brene, um, that's going to be probably... That's, I was about to say, that's going to be an intimate dinner unless you know yes. her very, very well. <laughs> yes. Yeah, yeah, this is, yeah, this is as close as you might ever get. Um, <laughs> and, and, you know, there's something like I, um, I do this when I go on architectural tours or take tours. There's, there's something magical about being in a space, um, whether, whether the person, like my example would be with Frank Lloyd Wright's work, I go to his work and I, you know, to, sorry, where he's designed something. And I have a little ritual that I do where I um, put my brain in alpha state thinking and rather than beta state thinking. And I then, this sounds all a bit woo woo, but it's kind of fun. Um, I then um, 
take take a moment to call Frank into the room with me. So I want him there, his presence there in the room. Now he's not really there, but I want his presence in my mind. And then I say to him, tell me about this. Tell me what this shit is here. Tell me what that is there. Tell me what this is. Tell me about it. Tell me what made you make that decision. And I have these little, uh, I probably end up with a therapist if I tell this too much. People, people will be reaching out going, shit, we can help that guy. He's got real problems. Um, he's delusional. Um, but it's I okay. go, yeah, it's okay. Yeah, I can talk to you about it, can I, Phil? Yeah. Yes. <laughs> um, um, yeah, with that, I end up with these conversations going in my head that are sort of almost ethereal conversations and just soak in the feeling of a space, not the look of it and all that, that as well, but the feeling of a space. And when you put yourself in a situation where you're around people who do amazing things um, and you take that moment to center yourself and be in the space of their greatness, you know, like you were saying with Brené, she's just a regular girl, but she's, She's a gift. She's got a greatness. That, she is a gift. Yeah. yeah. And when you can be in that space, um, there's there's something, there's the, the nuances that soak through you that you would never get just watching her on, you know, um, YouTube or any of those kind of yeah. things. And the same with live music. You know, you go yeah. and if you're there and they're so, playing, it's, yeah, the... the it soaks through you. It becomes, it, 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 it's like it's, um, it's uh, energy blends with your energy and forms a new energy that holds a moment that, yeah. that, 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 that it, sinks into your life. You and great and old does. cars, you know, the same. Yeah, it's so true. And, and I think you end up with memories that you cherish from yeah. those times, you know, like, it's the whole event. It's where you were and what time of year it was and who you were with. And when you listen to that, you know, yeah. or, um, my mom was my mom, my sister and I, when we started talking about this house, we were like, you know, it started becoming a house that was really not a theme house. I, I, I hate that, that kind of connotation, yeah. but it is about music. The whole house is about music and how to, how to enjoy it. And she said, you know, mom would have loved my our mom died um, the year before we started this project. Mm. And we grew up in a household with uh, someone who played it uh, on high all the time. It was loud. Always. You could hear it everywhere because we didn't have, you know, there were just two there speakers. Wasn't, yeah, and I was one about to say there was one source. The music comes from here. Yes. But you can hear it yes. everywhere. And you yeah. can hear it everywhere. <laughs> and I mean, you know, the holy trinity for mom was. Willie, Delbert McClinton, and B.B. King. Um, and she, it was always on. It was always on in the house. It was always on in the car. It was, her, it, everything revolved around that. And every memory I have revolves around there being music in it. Yeah. And so she would have, she would love this house. You know, she would just, the. there's just something about that, that just, it feeds your soul in a way that I can't imagine what my life would be like if it didn't have music in it and how much enjoyment we've gotten from it. You know, the last concert we took her to before she died was Willie and Merle. Oh, wow. And outside, outside in um, New Braunfels, the year before Merle Hager died and uh, mom sent Colin and I to get in line and buy her a t-shirt that she wanted the Willie Nelson t-shirt that says roll me up and smoke me when I die (laughs) and we bought it for we bought it for and she wore it to uh the four seasons to Mother's Day dinner and my sister called me she's like you're not going to believe what she has on and she tells me you bought it for and I'm like hey she wanted it. Oh, <laughs> and yes. obviously that's a big finger to everyone at the Four Seasons. I think is what the, she's trying to say. <laughs> it's like, oh my gosh, she was such a character. But oh. she would have loved this house. And I, I am so thankful that I was raised by someone that loved music that much. So. Oh, it's so special. It, it, it is. And it, it's infused your life. And 
it infuses your work probably as well. So typically. For sure. I've got um, I've got one last question. Well, one last, not even a question. I just wanted I want to go on the journey with you. So just recently, like you're a classic car lover. You've mm-hmm. got a beautiful old E-type Jag, and just recently you road trip to Marfa out in West Texas. Um, just give us some highlights on Marfa <laughs> and, and 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 the trip, oh. the trip because it's oh a God. decent drive from Austin. What is it about? Yes, seven it's hours. Seven and a half hours. Yeah. 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 And, you know, we, I drive that car all over town. It's not, it's not a car. It's, it's a beautiful car. It's been completely redone, but I didn't buy it to drive it to car shows. I drive it. Yeah. Um, to drive and the guy, Yes. The, the, the gentleman that did it for me, he's amazing. He put Bluetooth in it because I told him I didn't, as much as I love that car, I don't want to drive a car without my music. So he hid Bluetooth in it and it just plays off my, I can play my playlist. Nice. So I of course have sat for hours in my playlist to drop, to do go on my drives. Um, but going to Marfa is just, I mean, that is the big sky out there and it's so beautiful. We trailer that car, but once we get there, um, it's out and we drove it for three days. Um, this time it rained a little bit, so we didn't get to drive it every day, uh, as much, but I've been out there where we've put, you know, five or 600 miles on it while we're out there. So you can do everything from, curvy roads that are switchback, switchback, switchback through the Davis mountains down to like Italian tune up kind of flat roads that are going straight down to Presidio are straight out to Prada Marfa, which is that fabulous art yeah. installation that's out between Marfa and Valentine. So everybody takes the pilgrimage out there and you take a picture of the car in front of Prada Marfa, <laughs> uh, which we've done all the dogs and all the cars have all had their pictures made in front of Prada Marfa. Um, and then you just, you listen to, I mean, my mix this time, I was listening to the Black Pumas that I told you about, which I highly recommend to anyone. Current Austin band, they're just amazing. Won a Grammy this year. Um, I had everything on there from Led Zeppelin to Solomon Burke to, of course, Dylan. I have Dylan scattered throughout every playlist I have. Um, Margot Price. Oh, Margot. Yeah, love her stuff. Love Margot Price. Um, John Prine. I'm a John Prine. Um, Brene and I have that in common. The the night he died, we were on the phone with each other crying. Oh. Oh, God, it just killed me. One of the things that I had the pleasure of doing when I was in Austin a little while back now, my friend Jeff, who unfortunately has passed, but he, um, he said, look, they've doing the, the recording the live um, special or the recording the special for New Year's Eve, one October when we were there. And he said, um, you know, Bonnie Raitt's going to be there and um, <gasps> Billy Gibbons uh-huh. is going to be there and all these different artists. And he said, so I've got to drop some guitars down. And there were three of us guys, all from Australia, um, my best buddy and my other best buddy, who's a muso and he's a lawyer. Anyway, so we all walked in. This is how we got in. We walked into the rehearsal with um, guitar cases. And they, he was giving the guitars to somebody, but, like, just he just said, look, here's guitar cases. Go. They've all this got guitars like in them. Look like you belong here. Jeff's wanders in. We wander in behind <laughs> him. And then, you know, we spent the entire afternoon there to the point where Bonnie Raitt was, like, she called – I'm standing down by the down by the front of the stage because there's nobody in there. There's 10 people, you know, in yeah. the auditorium. And she, I said, she said something about, she asked a question and then she said, can, can you tell me what that was or, or, or what that sounded like? Did you record that or something on, <laughs> on my phone? And she's like giving me shit from the stage. I'm like, bloody hell, <laughs> here we go. I'm not even meant to be there. Um and then the next oh night, God. we went We went to the filming of the special as well, the recording of the special the next night. Um, but just, yeah, moments like oh that, just God. really good. And Chris Christopherson was on stage. Willie was on stage. Um, oh. Yeah, oh. It, was, it was just fantastic. Really cool. Oh I'm a big gosh. Lucas Nelson fan as well, like massive fan yes. of Lucas. Yeah. Me too. And, and the stuff he's they, on my playlist too. Yeah, me as well. He's on my playlist always. Yeah. And that, what yeah. they did with The Star is Born, you know, a lot of people don't realise in that movie that's Lucas Nelson um, and his yeah. band in The exactly. Star is Born, yeah, which is yeah, fabulous movie. I know. 
I know. I was just so happy for him. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Um, I saw an interview with him one night. He was talking about how he was raised and they were talking about religion and going to church and all this. He goes, yeah, we, we didn't do any of that. Um, because my parents is really simple. It's just, um, you know, just philosophy about life boiled down to don't be an asshole. <laughs> that was it. And I was like, you know, that's really the golden rule right there. I mean, that's all you need to know. That kind of covers Absolutely. Everything. Yeah. If you can do that, then shit, exactly. it's done. Man. My dad done. always told me. Yeah. Don't be an <laughs> asshole. <laughs> oh, God, we could talk for hours. More hours more. <laughs> We've already talked for a couple. Um, I know. We're go I'm going to wrap it up and just um, one song that you say everybody should listen to, something from the Black Pumas. What's, what's your favourite? Oh, Colour. Colours. Colours from the Black Pumas. Colour from Black Pumas. Listen to that. Yes. Cool. And then go listen to Nora Jones' version of Forever Young, Dylan's ah. Forever Young. Okay. It is. Oh my gosh. And it it's your, she sang it. I can't find it on an album, but she sang it at Steve Jobs Memorial service. That was at Apple. Oh, really? um, and the it's on YouTube. You have to watch it. Oh, it I, just, uh, I love Nora oh Jones. God. I've seen her in concert as well. It's yeah. the best version of the best song. Ah, my favorite. Awesome takeaway. Awesome takeaway. <laughs> I have so enjoyed this chat. I can't wait. I've got to work out. <laughs> if they'll open the borders to get me out there for October because <laughs> I don't oh, want to miss, I don't want to miss dinner there. That sounds just amazing. Amazing. Really, really yeah. cool. It'll be a fun night. Yeah. I'll get, um, I've got all, I've got your sort of bio stuff and that, but can you get them to post me everything? Just keep me totally updated on all that. And this podcast yes, will, will drop sure. in about a month, I'd say. Um, okay. So, yeah, absolutely brilliant. Thank you well, so, within, so much. Well, within a month, we'll know yeah. exactly when the dates are. So I'll cool. let you know. Well, you can better show up. Thank you. <laughs> thank you. Really Oh, my gosh. It. Oh, thank you. Thanks so much for thinking of me. This is ah. such a, a privilege and a pleasure. You're so worth the thought. Richard's Magic Arrows is brought to you by the Architect Marketing Institute. Clean, simple, sugar-free magic arrows that hit the mark for fast results. Let's fire a magic arrow into this week's problem. Now, I know feed pressure is one of the biggest things facing designers. It doesn't matter what level you're at. There is no one golden bullet for it. Uh, if it was, it was probably select the right type of clients. But if you're in a situation where you're being pressured on fees, I'm going to give you a way of dealing with it. And it's by asking say three questions and this is called takeaway selling so this is where you kind of offer something up and then you take it away and see if they follow you it's almost like imagine if you had some hot ch chocolate cookies and you had a plate full of them you put them in front of them, someone and then they went to reach out and then you you pulled it away and you see if they get up and follow you it's that type of thing so this is called takeaway selling so the first question you ask you say well why don't you just leave the situation as it is why, why make the change that's an unusual thing for a designer to say. Well, why not just leave it as it is? And see how they answer. And then you might say, why did you want to speak to me? Why did you not get someone else? And see if they follow you. See if they answer properly. And the third question would be, well, why not do it later? Now, by asking these negative questions, you're going to get a lot more information out of someone than by trying to convince them to do it. Because by pulling the plate of hot cookies away, they're either going to react or they're not. And if they do react and give you answers and explain why it's important, then what they're doing is telling you how important something is. Now, while these magic arrows are great for fast results, when you're ready to run better quality projects from clients who value great design and are prepared to pay great fees, I've got a special training just for you. Go to archmarketing.org forward slash talk design. Take your magic arrow and fire at will.